Peter Black's here to talk technology and the way it frames our world. Morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Spencer. Google search suggestions and what they reveal about how different countries see each other. Yes, so this is interesting. So if you go to Google these days, they sort of have this autocomplete feature on. So when you start typing something, they'll give you suggestions about what the search term may actually be. Let me just try this. Let me put, um, is Peter Black... No, what about... (laughs) What about, will Peter Black... Will Peter Black... Will Peter Parker return, Camera? Will will Peter... No, oh, it didn't give me... Anyway, keep going. I'm probably not famous yeah. enough. Will, Pe- or... will Peter Parker return? There you go. Yes, so, yeah. Okay. so yeah, as you start typing, it gives you various yeah. different uh, suggestions. And so what uh, someone has done is to have a look at how different Google in different countries, um, uh, how the, auto, the autocomplete operates differently, okay, because it's based upon, uh, you know, your geographic location. And so what uh, this person's had a look at is to see how various different countries... Uh, and their Google uh, are using the autocomplete to uh, talk about other countries. So, for example, um, if you are in Australia and you start typing, why is America, the results that you get are, why is America so violent? Why is American cheese orange? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a good question, really. Uh, You know, why is America in Iraq? Uh, you know, those uh, sorts of things. Whereas if you're in uh, Canada, yes. when you start typing why is America, you get things like why is America better than Canada and why is America so violent? Um, so this sort of an, is a bit of an, an interesting exercise, I suppose. Uh, in America, to... if you put why is America, you get why is America the greatest country in the world. Yes, you do. Yes, you, you also get why is America so fat, yeah. uh, which is uh, a common question. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, so how do these other countries, the the, the, the data that I'm looking at here mm. comes from the US, Canada, and the UK. How, what is their Google saying about Australia? Ah, yes. Uh, so if you're in the United States, uh, why is Australia called Oz uh, is the first mm. uh, most sort of commonly searched thing. If you're in Canada, you're asking, or Canada or the UK, you're asking, why is Australia so expensive? Um, and what if you're searching about Australia from Australia? What do you get? Why is Australia so expensive? Again, yeah. Uh, also interesting. And also uh, in, in the top sort of few there in Australia is why is Australia the lucky country hmm. uh, as well? Which That's is kind of like the of... American version of why is yeah, America yeah, the greatest country in the world? Greatest country uh, in, in well, the world. I'm pleased that someone – that's kind of like a cool drinking game. I'm pleased that someone went to the trouble of sort of doing it and putting it out as research. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. What is 40 days of dating? 40 Days of Dating is this really uh, fascinating uh, blog that's got a bit of a, uh, a bit of a had a bit of a viral effect and it's sort of probably worth uh, checking out. The theory behind 40 Days of Dating is this: there are two friends, um, a boy uh, and and a girl. Uh, they're sort of it's a bit out, a bit as though it's out of a romantic comedy. Uh, he's sort of a commitment phobe. She's a hopeless romantic. They've been friends for years. They both wind up single at the same time, uh, and so they decide that they will date exclusively for 40 days, see each other every day, uh, and uh, see how it goes. Uh, and they're going to decide to blog about the whole experience, sort of write it from their various different uh, perspectives to see how it is going. Now, it, it is does it does sound as though it's just out of a, a sort of a romantic comedy out of a movie. Yeah, and it um, probably will end up being. It probably will end up uh, being but, that. But yeah. the, the, the blog itself is actually uh, a really delightful little read. Um, they're, they're both uh, good writers. They, they use lots of sort of uh, 
a visual sort of material. Uh, so it's quite sort of interactive in that sense as well. And we'll find out in the next few days, <laughs> August the 16th, that's yeah. when the 40 days uh, runs right. up okay. uh, as to whether they will end up together or not. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right, this one's very, very silly. Send me to heaven. Send me to heaven. Uh, it's a, a, a smartphone app. It's not available on your iPhone, just an Android uh, app. And it uh, is a game with you play with yourself, with your phone, that challenges you to throw your phone as high as you can to score points. Uh, so it's, Do you have to catch it? Yeah, you have to catch Well, no, you don't have to catch it. Right. No, it's just a matter of how high you go. The problem is if you don't catch it, of course, you get a break your phone. Sure, yes. Um, <laughs> but if you're silly and you've got the cash, silly? you can go to the, the top of the tallest building and then throw it even more and That's it doesn't right. matter if, what happens to it. it. It doesn't matter what happens to it. So right. it's, it's, it's silly. And presumably it's this fun. then posts on Twitter and Facebook yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you compete yeah, against you can, your friends you can so you can throw the phone, phone um, the highest. Okay, tell us about Lava Bit and uh, why it's important and why it's now defunct. Yes, so this is sort of the the opposite of the, the previous very silly story. There's something a little bit more serious. So LavaBit was an extremely secure email service that was uh, available. Uh, so most email we think of secure is secure. Probably isn't really that, that secure. For example, you know, if you use one of the common providers like uh, Google's Gmail or, or Yahoo or whatever, you know, they do scan that email so they can target you with advertisements. So it's not that secure. Uh, and also there's the potential for it to be uh, intercepted by others, monitored by governments, those sorts of things. So what LavaBit was all about was that it was... Uh, uh, had what was known as asymmetric encryption surrounding the email, which did make it very secure, very difficult for other people uh, to hack in and access it. Uh, they themselves said that they didn't um, and committed not to, to scanning or reading it to target advertisements um, and the like. And they also maintained that they would never sort of hand any of your emails or data over to government. Now, it has, uh, in the last week or so, shut down, um, together with a few other similar providers. LavaBit's probably the most famous one because that's the email uh, service that Edward Snowden um, had been using. Edward Snowden, um, of, of course, being the, the, the leaker, I suppose, in the United States about their, the, the activities, the online activities of the National Security Agency and the like. So why has it shut down? Well, this is the interest, probably the most interesting thing. We can't really know for sure because LavaBit is in a legal position apparently where they can't tell us <laughs> why they've been shut down, uh, which means most likely um, that they have shut down as a result of uh, a national security letter that they would have received from the United States government requiring them to hand over data about individuals. Uh, and they have chosen, rather than to comply with that, mm. um, to simply shut down. Wow. Okay. Would many people, any people here be using that? It's probably not a very common um, email provider service, but I'm sure there'd be some people out there who are concerned about their security and don't like the idea of having an email provider effectively, you know, scanning or, or reading mm. your emails to target advertisements and the like. Mm. All right, Peter Black's here, talking technology and the way it frames our world. 12 minutes to seven. You can live on digitally after you have left the planet. Yeah, this is something that we have touched upon once or twice uh, before in terms of how services and platforms deal with uh, a person's death. And there are a range of other um, options now whereby you can basically leave behind 
uh, passwords to your various accounts and allow other people to continue to uh, maintain them, um, and a variety of other sort of you know twists and turns, uh, sort of a variation thereon. I mean, it's sort of become quite interesting in terms of a real life case study over the last sort of month or so when the U.S. film critic Roger Ebert, uh, some people probably uh, would be familiar with, and he had a huge social media following. He was very popular, especially on Twitter um, in in, in the last few years of his life. Um, And his wife has, under his instructions, continued on his social media presence. So his Facebook page continues, interestingly, his Twitter account continues as well. Well, normally she identifies herself uh, when she is tweeting from the Twitter account, um, but he also drafted some tweets. Oh, man. um, And uh, they have also been posted. So, for example, he he tweeted, um, even when the theatre has gone dark, the story is still alive in you. Wow. Um, Okay. uh, And... It's sort of been quite phenomenal, really, to see people respond uh, to that, uh, this idea of someone um, uh, you know, uh, tweeting. Makes me uncomfortable, though, just a little bit. But he, he, he obviously decided to do it himself. He obviously yeah. decided to do it because he felt yeah. that was important. All right, finally, this is important as well. We touched on this on the show yesterday morning, but uh, the, the uh, director of Grizzly Man, uh, uh, Werner Herzog, the, has come up with this 35-minute documentary about text driving, and this is powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. So it's called From One Second to the Next. It explores the consequences of texting while uh, driving, which the film said leads to you know, hundreds of thousands of accidents um, every year. Uh, and it contains uh, mainly sort of interviews with people whose lives have been uh, affected or, or damaged as a result of car accidents that have come from texting while driving, and it, and it really is very powerful stuff. I'll, I'll just play a little clip of the uh, of the film. The lady who hit X was texting. Her head was in her lap. She never even saw X in front of her. You know, I'm told that the text was, I'm on my way. Did she make it? Did she get to where she was going on time? Meanwhile, though, there is some research out which suggests that uh, using your like talking on the phone is not necessarily connected to crashes. Yes, so there is some research about that that has come out of the UK. They they were they were looking uh, at uh, the amount of car accidents that that, that occurred on the roads uh, during a, a period. Uh, of 9 p.m. each day of the week, which is when mobile phone operators in the UK offered free calls. And so they were looking to see there was a spike during that period. Um, they couldn't find one, which leads then to suggest that, that perhaps there, there there isn't some sort of uh, causal connection there. But the, the research, of course, in that instance, was only dealing with phone calls as opposed to perhaps what's the more uh, dangerous practice of texting, browsing, even looking at maps and things on your phone um, while you are driving. Mm, which, which, right. which was, what's the, what's the film called? Uh, the film, you can you can actually just watch it on YouTube. Yep. It's from oh, one second to the next. Okay, there's some homework. Going to do that for sure. All right, Peter, thank you. See you next week. Thanks, Spencer. Peter Black, talking technology in the way it frames our world at this time every Tuesday.